God, we just pray for your word, Lord, that has life in it. It has life in itself. Lord, just the words themselves have life in them. And I thank you, Lord, that to the hearts that are open, Lord, that life came in and did a change, Lord, and brought revelation and brought, Lord, life itself into the individuals. And, Lord, we pray that you would continue to do that today, Lord, that we would be increased, Lord, increase our faith, Lord, increase our understanding. Lord, put your word in us supernaturally. Write it upon our hearts as your word promises us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to open this word right away. Uh, and just, I want to continue preaching immediately on what we've been preaching on this last month. And we'll just open it right away and I'll let you continue along in your hearts with me. Let the Lord do what he's doing. We're going to open to 1 Peter. I'm going to springboard from here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. If you want to turn there or look to the screen, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says that we are his spiritual temple. Everybody say, we're his temple. We've been looking at this last month that the temple was not a building, right? It was never meant to be a building. The building was acceptable. It was, it was something that the Lord used for a time, but it was meant to be in our hearts, right? Adam and Eve didn't need a temple. They walked with God. That was the way that God always intended. That's what God still wants. And Jesus gave us that, didn't he? He became the temple and showed us the way to be a temple like him on the earth, right? And also, Jesus became the high priest. He was a temple on the earth. The people came right to him. They didn't come to a building. Jesus was on the hillside, and Jesus was in the boat, right? And he had no lack of power out there within the, with the people, right? Did he, did he lack power when he was out there? It wasn't just in a building. In fact, <laughs> if you study your word, you'll find that actually he was most restricted in the physical temple. That's where they would, you know, accuse him and point their fingers at him. That's where he had to deal with things, right? It's where he turned over the tables. But when he was out and was the temple out on the hillside, that's where we saw the most miracles, right? It's where we see the loaves and the, uh, of bread and the fish multiplied, and we see changes happen. That's where we see the transfiguration, is that the temple was moving about. And that's what he wants from us, to be a temple that is moving about, to be a temple of God, just as the, even the ark of God, even before it was planted, it was traveling around, right, with the priest. The priests were to carry around the presence of God within the ark, right? Amen. And so Peter tells us that that is us, that we have become his temples, right? We are one temple uh, as, as individuals, but and yet we are separated right we're not all together all the time so we are a piece of that of that grand temple of his body but you are a little piece of it and you are a representation you are an ambassador of that temple wherever you are where you're with your family unsaved and saved and when you're with your co-workers unsaved and saved you are a temple of the lord and you are also his holy priest say i'm his holy priest there is nothing wrong with uh, a, a pastor, you know, uh, bringing a sermon on a Sunday morning like what I do, and that's fine. But I am not your mediator. I am not the person in between you and God. That is only Jesus Christ. And I'm here to encourage you. I'm more like a cheerleader. 
I'm more just to remind you of what you have in Jesus, of who you are through his word, of what he's promised you, and so on. But you do not need to come to me. You can come to me, that's fine, and I'm going to point you to Jesus. If you know me, you know that's what I do. I don't like to even give you really much of my own wisdom. I'll immediately tell you, if you know me, that this is what the Word says. That's where I get my wisdom from. I'll go, this is what the Word says. And I may say, you know, I think this is what that Word means, but usually I don't even do that unless you really are prying. You know, well, how do I apply that? But I say, still take it to the Lord. You still take it to the Lord. And it's because we are priests. We are a temple, and we, each of us, every individual in here is a priest, which was a person who would stand in the gap. It was a person who brought worship to the Lord. It was the person who brought the sacrifice, which we're going to look more into today, and it was one that facilitated the presence of God, that had everything in order, that, that, that put the places and things that God had ordered in where they should be and in their places and so on, and, to, and facilitated the sacrifice, and so that the glory and the presence of God would dwell in the temple, and, and there was peace in the land. There was life in the land, but when we see in his word, when those things got out of whack, everything got out of whack, right? We see that once the, the sacrifices got messed up, and once the priests got messed up, and once this, the temple was out of whack, so was the whole land, and that's when judgment came, and that's when the Lord then had to deal with them, and then he so faithfully called them back over and over and over again, and he would do it to us again, if he's dealing with you and judging you, let him finish what he's doing in you because he's still going to call you back. He's faithful to finish what he started. Amen. And then it says, and through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So say, I also am called to offer a sacrifice. See, when we look at the Old Testament, God had a way, didn't he? God had a very strict way. In fact, as I said, when the priests were meant to carry the ark, right? Remember, they, they didn't carry it right. And what happened, right? A man dies, touches it, and he dies. God had a way, a very specific way, and he did that many times. And it's because God is a jealous God. In fact, we can see through the word that the sacrifices really uh, in every single book, almost of the entire Bible, Old Testament, you can find instances of unacceptable, impure sacrifices, things not done God's ways, and then we see the repercussions of God. You can go even to Genesis, even before the the sacrifices were really prescribed to us with Cain and Abel. Right off the bat, we have Cain and Abel, and we don't even really know. It does, the word doesn't tell us what God required at that time. But what we do know is that it says that Abel gave the first fruits. He gave the best. And it says that Cain gave some. And that God then wasn't pleased with Cain. Everybody say God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. And that was before all the law, and that was before Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and, the, and Numbers and, and the law and all of that being established in a formatted way that, 
that finally Solomon puts into a physical building with, a, with physical priests and, with, and, and, and doing what God's asked them to do. And in, even then, when they got into all that, then they just mess it up over and over and over again. But God is jealous, isn't he? He's jealous, and the reason that he dealt with them that way is, is because just as the acceptable required sacrifices of the Israelites uh, were physical, they were really a metaphor and a picture for the internal heart. Because God wasn't looking at, okay, you brought me a lamb with a defect, as, you know, you brought a lamb with a defect. He's not looking at the lamb. What he sees is, you don't really respect me. You think second best is good enough for me. Isn't that amazing? That's really what he was looking, like, looking at. It wasn't about law. It wasn't just that you brought something that, that he didn't prescribe. It was that your heart wasn't in it. In fact, the sacrifices are very, there's a very small portion of them that had to deal with sin, if you really study it. And most of them were about just trust in God, reliance on God, your commitment to him, your uh, your uh, complete and total just reliance in every way, shape, and form, just like the children of Israel before any of the law, before the sacrifices, in the wilderness, and all he wanted them to do was, will you just let me take care of you with manna, which you don't understand, and you don't get it, and it's dry and hot out here, and you can look at all that, or you can see that I love you and I'll take care of you, but do it my way, not because it's my way, but because I need to see that you will trust me. And God is actually asking the same exact thing of his church in 2019, which is not just will you bring the sacrifice that you know, that Jesus, see, we say, well, the sacrifice is done. Jesus brought the sacrifice. And so we say, well, I brought my life in that way. I, I gave my life. Jesus paid the price. The sacrifice is done. But really, that was only a portion. Sin was only a portion of the sacrifice. In fact, the atoning and the blood of Jesus Christ was done for you, you can't do that. You could never, ever uh, please God enough. You could never trust him enough, rely on him enough to earn that anyway. That's done for you, and that is true. But the sacrifice that we are looking at here in First Peter, and I'm going to look in a moment at Romans chapter 12, which I've been alluding to these weeks, and we're going to finally look in more depth at it is not talking about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but it is talking about a sacrifice of a life here on earth, your life in complete and wholeness to God. In fact, so many people miss Jesus because they accept Jesus, but never give their life to Jesus. Jesus was never meant to just be accepted. Everybody, I want you to say that if you believe it. Jesus was never meant to only be accepted. 
In the book of James, it says that the demons believe and they tremble. You do have to accept him, but that's not all that you were meant to do. You were not meant to only accept him. But if you really look at the life of Jesus, and if you really go from Genesis through Revelation, and look at this whole story unraveling, until finally Jesus is walking on the earth. And then if you really look at his words in context of the whole word, what it was pointing to, Jesus really makes it clear that it's an entire life that I want. That I don't want to be first place in your life. That's not good enough for me. I don't want to be first place. I want the whole list. I want to be every place. I want your life to become my life. And I want my life to become your life on the earth. You'll sit with me in heaven and I'll secure you for eternity. And so in trade, not that in a trade of like, let me give you God. He's already said, listen, you give it to me or you don't give it to me. I'm offering myself regardless to you, period. But in trade, okay, again, it's not a trade. It's like, uh, it's not a trade, you give me, I'll give you. It's that it's already done, but that, that and, and Romans says it best, and, and we'll look at that just a moment. I just don't want to get ahead of myself, but that, and we're going to make it real clear, but that I'm going to give my life back to you, Jesus, because of what you've done for me. And it's, it's weird because we don't live legalistically, do we? We don't live by the law. And yet, God still has a way, even post the cross, post the blood of Jesus. He still has a way. It's like you can't earn his, his blood. You can't earn salvation. And yet, if salvation has really come into your heart, and if Jesus has really done a work in your heart, proving that you are saved, then you will be completely and totally 100% devoted, sacrificed, give up, I give up. I mean, I talked about this some weeks or months ago that it says to us in his word, don't even plan what you're going to do tomorrow or next year. Right? It says your life's a vapor in James. You don't know what you, where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing. Who are you to make those decisions? We don't realize what happened here. There was a transaction. And again, I have to say it again, Jesus did it without anything from you. It's already done. It's like I, I made the example recently to you guys that uh, it's like, you know, I, I have a scholarship for you, and it's there. You can go to school. You can go to college. You can become a professional, and it's there. You can do it if you want. It's completely and already, it's already done. It's already paid for. There's nothing you can do to get it except that you have to do it. You get what I'm saying? It's not that you can't earn it, but it's something that you still have to walk out. And to walk out his salvation, God's way is to be sacrificed. It's not only to be a priest. Because remember, the priests in the Old Testament, Eli's sons, and I, I alluded to them and mentioned to them in the weeks past, they would poke their fork into the pot. Remember the story? And they, see, as the priests, they were allowed to take a portion of what was brought to them, and they would pick out the best pieces on purpose. In fact, 
it says that the priest hoped that people would sin so that the sacrifice would be brought in so they could have their portion of it. We were never meant to just be this person that just hangs in the glory of God and takes of the best of God, but we were, it's not that you're not really, I mean, you're the apple of his eye. He loves you. He couldn't do any more for you. If he, if he wanted to, he can't. There's nothing more he could do. He gave his only son. It's already been done. It's already finished, but he loves you. He wants to give you the best, whether you realize it or not. Even that song we were singing, Canvas in the Clay, you, you may not think that he's got your best interest in mind right now, but he does. It just doesn't look like it because you're sick and you're tired and you're frustrated and your bank account doesn't look the way it's supposed to. And so you're, you just assume that God's abandoned you and that somehow, you know, his hands just stopped moving on your clay. But he's still working things out. He's still shaping. He's still doing. He's faithful. And he'll never, ever give up on you. Amen. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission. Everybody say obedience, obedience. is God's way. God's way. And submission is God's way. It was obedience and submission. This is 1 Samuel. We barely got into the story of the temple. The temple is not even built yet. We barely have the story of it, of it being like in a tent, but amongst a, a, a kingdom now. You know, the kingdom is just about to, you know, unravel. David's barely on the scene here. And he's telling us right off the bat, even before it all gets established and all built and all done, this is what I want. I want your hearts. Say, he wants our hearts. We can easily, 2019, with the blood of Jesus and with the grace of God, bring an offering to him and think we're doing what he's asked us to do. We give him a little piece of our time, a little portion of our time, a little portion of our, of our resources, a little portion in prayer, a little portion in love. And, but now, okay, I need to just back away. I got to do my own thing and I got to take care of myself. I gave myself. We can easily do that. And yet Romans 12, 1, and let's look at this. It says, Romans chapter 12 Verse 1 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Everybody say, he pleads with us. All right, when he's writing here, God's pleading with us. He's writing for God. We know that who believes that the word is God's word. So who's pleading with us? God's pleading with us. He's representing God right here. When he writes this, he's, we believe the word is inspired. It's breathed by God. So, you know, we can see 
here that God is pleading with us to give our bodies. And this word body is not just your body. That's your whole self. Say my whole self. That's body, soul, mind, and spirit. It's your entire being. What he's saying here is I plead with you to give everything you have to God because of all he has done for you. Now, we could see, we could look at this and we could see two levels of Christianity. We could see a level that says, I accept Jesus, I love Jesus, but I'm just not quite, you know, like fully, fully committed, but I still love him, I live for him, but I'm not the, like, the sold out on fire kind of Jesus freak, though. And when you really look at the word and you don't look at other churches, you don't look at books you've read and you don't look at all the other preachers you've listened to, even me, if I've told you something wrong, you look at his word, his word doesn't give us two types of Christians. His word gives us one type of Christian. His word says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living, everybody say living, and we're going to look at that. And holy, everybody say holy. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice that he will find acceptable. Everybody say acceptable. The Bible says that he didn't accept Cain's offering and warn Cain, sin's knocking at your door. What happens with Cain? He doesn't deal with that hard issue and he murders his brother Abel. You can go through the whole Bible. You can go through so many stories through the children of Israel in the wilderness and with the golden calf and, and then, like I mentioned, with Eli's sons and, and, and so on, especially then once we get past Solomon all the way through the sacrifices, they don't just become impure and unacceptable, but they become demonic. They become all mixed with all kinds of weirdness and darkness. Really, when you look at his word, what he's saying is, is it's not just acceptable like, well, let's bring in acceptable, something that's bearable, something that's bare minimum, something that's enough. Really, what this verse says is, there's only one sacrifice that I deem acceptable. And that is, that I've already done it. Jesus has done it. And if you join with him, what does the Bible tell us? We join in his death, right? We join in his suffering, Peter says, and we will share in his glory. So really what the word is telling us here is that you have died. Say, I've died. You've given up your life. You lay down your life. In fact, this might seem really strong, but don't listen to me in your head. Just listen to me in your spirit. I think sometimes even the way that we get people saved is, uh, I want to say demonic in the sense of like, that it's so dark, but that it teaches people that coming to Christ is not really what it is. 
that it's somehow just coming and checking a box or saying a prayer and then putting your card in a box and the pastor calls you and says, hey, how you doing now that you've gotten saved? But that coming to Christ is so much more. It is literally by the scriptures, not by what you've been taught. Okay, the altar call is not in the Bible. And I'm not opposed to the altar call as long as after the altar call you do what Jesus said, which is lay your life down. That's fine. I, don't, I am not opposed to all the different styles and formats, and we can have music, we can have no music. We can have the preacher, you know, lead the people, and we can have them say it in their hearts. And whatever it can be on TV, it can be on the radio that it was a simple prayer, except that the prayer needs to be real. The prayer is a declaration of what you have decided to do. I give you my life. That's the only sacrifice that he says is acceptable. Is that you have sacrificed your life. Now you can't do it. All you can do is make the commitment. All you can do is accept what Jesus has done and really plant it, really mean it. But really you can't even, you can't change yourself, but you have to get on that altar. We see that Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him. Remember the story. You know that Abraham did sacrifice Isaac? He did. As soon as Abraham got up in the morning and took him to that altar, he was already sacrificed. Abraham was already trusting God. As soon as he raised the knife, remember? Remember? God says, now I know. Now I know paraphrasing now i know you trust me that you that you recognize i'm god that you would give anything and now and then he replaces him come on this is and this is such a picture this is such a picture of what jesus has done it didn't even though he was replaced by the blood right of the ram it didn't excuse the fact that god still required him to bring isaac his beloved, his loved, his, his only son, his, the thing that he, he cared for, the thing he loved, even to representing every part of you, representing all that you are, everything you love, everything you want, everything you desire, everything you've been waiting for, you're willing to give it. And then Jesus, his blood, he gets on the altar. That's, so, that's the picture here. But you already raised the knife. You don't care. You don't need. You don't desire. Your plans, your desires, your life, it's on the altar. It's on the altar already. And Jesus steps in and, 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 and pays the, uh, an eternal price, pays the blood, but there was already this, this emptying. There was already a settling with God. And in verse 2 it says, and then I want to go back into verse 1 a little bit, but verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Everybody say, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect the new king james has that word acceptable again it's the same 
Greek word, as in verse 1, is in verse 2. It says that it's, do not be conformed to this world, and you may know it as this translation, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And here's the picture. Why is it a living sacrifice? What's the difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice? Old Testament, what did you do with your sacrifice? You killed it. It was a dead sacrifice, and it was dead for two reasons. One, in the natural, it was actually dead. Before it ever got on the altar, it was already dead. They didn't put a live animal and try to hold it down while the fire of God burned it up. It was already dead. They killed that thing. It was a dead thing. It was a dead sacrifice. But simultaneously, why it was also dead, why it was dead is because it didn't have the power of a heart that is sacrificed before him. Didn't have the power. It's just an animal. And, and it did for a season. It did for a time. But it was never really going to, it was never really going to fill in the gap of a heart joined together with Christ on the altar. We join with Christ on his cross. Do you realize that? You realize that the cross represents the sacrifice. And we can see in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Romans, in Hebrews, some direct verses and some pictures that we have gotten on the cross with Christ, with him. And so that tells us that the sacrifice is not just Jesus for our sins, which we cannot cover, but that we have laid our lives down with him on that cross. And what happened after the death? God was faithful to raise him up to life again. And so we are living sacrifices because the, the, if you just bring God, you know, you bring God something, you bring him an offering, it's like, oh yeah, that's right, I did that once, right? Who remembers, who remembers what you did for God last week? You have to start jogging your, your memory, you have to start thinking about the things that you did, that's the, and, and we're Christians, we have Christ, but in a sense, that's even dead, because we're living, we're living in, in now, we need to live every single moment, even yesterday, it's not that the good things we've done don't count in heaven, right, there's, there's rewards for the things that we've done that he's asked us to do, but in a sense, it's, a, it's an everyday, it's a continual living sacrifice, it's not just a dead sacrifice, it's not, I brought, I brought my life to him once, I did that back in 2002, back in 1968. I did that. I brought the sacrifice, and I put it on the altar. But no, he said, I want a living sacrifice. I want one that is no longer their own. Come on, amen. I want a living sacrifice. I want you to live sacrificed. Say, I want you to live sacrificed. Jesus lived that way. Jesus lived sacrifice. Do we know that? It says in John 5, just some quick verses, and I'm just going to speed through them. John 5, verse 19 says, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Excuse me, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, can't do anything on his own? This is John chapter 5, verse 19. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, 
the Son also does. Verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus lived a sacrificed life. Jesus just didn't just get on a cross and sacrifice himself for us in the atoning of his blood for our sin, but Jesus showed us the way, and he lived this way, and he asked us to live this way. It says in John chapter 8, verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't, for I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me. And he is completely truthful, verse 27, but they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own. He lived to please the Father. He lived for one purpose. And Jesus did not come down and say, okay, you're saved, you're redeemed, you're a king's kid, you're free, here's all my blessing, here's all my stuff, here's life, and here's abundance. Now I'll see you in eternity. Go do your thing. You go build, and you go be, and you go do. That's not what he wanted. But he said, I've done it. Now come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come as I do. I am the way. I'm a way. Not just a way, a generic way, but I'm the way to the Father. And this is the way. This is the way. He says, I do nothing on my own, but only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Now, this is a direct reference to the sacrifice that I'm making here, the acceptable sacrifice, the sacrifice that pleases him. The one he said, Cain, I'm not pleased with your sacrifice. Abel, I'm pleased with your sacrifice. Cain, I'm not pleased with second best. I'm not pleased with partial. I'm not pleased with, well, you just do what you want and you just, you just do your best and you just bring your best to me and, and that's okay. In a sense, if it truly is your best, then fine. But it's not really, is it? It's not really. It's not really. If we truly search our hearts and truly dig deep, you put your head on your pillow and you say, have I lived my life, every ounce, everything I am, every part of my being, 100% for him today? If that's not the answer, I'm not here to condemn you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm here to encourage you that there's another chance tomorrow and that God has a way and that his Holy Spirit will help us do it. But he's warning us before you're dead. You're not dead yet, so tomorrow get up and do it the way that he's asked you to do. And when you fail that day, come on, that's the picture. It's not that there's condemnation and that there's a law and that, you know, I, well, I need to bring a sacrifice because I messed up today. But no, I need to present my life even fuller. It must not be on the altar yet because I don't see Christ shining through me come on this is not rocket science if Jesus hasn't lived out through your life today then you're not on the altar it's not hard to figure out 
If Jesus didn't live through you today, and when you said those words to that person that were not from Christ, but from Satan, then you're not on the altar. And let's just be blunt by the word. Why sugarcoat it? He says that's not acceptable. I'm not pleased with that offering. It's not that I don't love you. Of course I love you. That's a ridiculous question to ask God. And that's from Satan. If you ever feel like he doesn't love you, that's ridiculous. It's a demonic statement. It's demonic. It's from hell that God doesn't love you. Of course he loves you. He gave Jesus for you before you even sinned. He gave him on the cross. It says that he loved us while we were still sinners, before you even lived a life of sin, before the murderer, before son of Sam gets saved. That means that he loved him when he murdered all six of those women, right? I think it's six, whatever, it doesn't matter. But he murdered those people, right? And, and, and God loved him then. Come on. It's not about love, but it's about God's way. It's about pleasing him. It's about doing what he's asked. We think because we have the grace of Christ that suddenly, you know, we can touch the ark and it doesn't matter. We think because we have the grace of God that we can just wander in and out of his temple and do whatever we want, and we just take God wherever we want, and I love Jesus, and Jesus is my homeboy, and everything's cool, dude. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank Jesus that he gave us his, his grace, but God is still God. And sometimes I wish, well, that's a harsh statement, but it's the truth. Sometimes I wish that God did deal with us a little bit harsher sometimes just so that we wouldn't, you know, sometimes when you let your kids, you know, you try to be good to them. This is what God does to us too. You try to not spank them or, you know, punish them or, you know, uh, uh, or ground them every single time they do any little tiny thing wrong, right? Because you love them, not because you don't see it. <laughs> you see every little thing they did. They're not getting away with it. You're trying to give them some grace. And sometimes... You know, it ends up being counterproductive because you gave them so much grace that then they're like, what I do when you finally deal with them? Like, well, if I went through the list, you wouldn't even remember or believe me. Sometimes I wish maybe that God dealt with us quicker and didn't give us so much grace so that we wouldn't get so far sometimes. We get so far so quick and then he calls us back. Thank you, Lord, and brings us all the way back, doesn't he? But it says in Luke chapter 4, I love these verses, the Holy Spirit is really the key to the New Testament because it's the glory of God inside of us. You can't do it on your own. And even Jesus didn't begin his ministry without the Holy Spirit, so I can preach this whole sermon, but you can't do it on your own. It's the Holy Spirit that you get as a gift of Jesus' blood. When you receive him, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and comes inside you and does a change in you that you can't do. And even Jesus walked this way. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led. Everybody say, he was led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, verse 14. And then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. And verse 18 says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Come on, amen. Isn't this amazing? Do you love these words? This is a prophecy fulfilled. And it says that he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me. Everybody say, He's anointed me. He has sent me. Come on, because it's Christ in us, and we carry His Spirit. We carry His message. Jesus began the work, right, on the earth, and then He anointed other men to continue the work, and we are still continuing His work today. We've been sent. We've been anointed to release the blind to see and the oppressed set free. The time of the Lord's favor has come in Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah, uh, actually many, many, many of the Isaiahs uh, are, are prophesying who Jesus would be and what Jesus would do. But then Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians, puts his yoke, come on, he says, yoke with me, right? He says, he says join with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We have to yoke with Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, and we looked at this verse last month, and I want to read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Are you joined to the Lord in here this morning? If you have given your life to him, you are joined with him. Do you realize that he is not a ticket onto, onto the Titanic. He's not a ticket for a ride because that's going down. <laughs> you think he's just a ticket. You're going to be in some icy water soon. He's not just a ticket, but you become one with him. He became one with you and you become one with him. You are seated with him next to the Father at the right hand of God, and He is seated in you, in His temple on the earth, moving still on the earth in flesh. Sometimes I say, Lord, I wish you were, man, if you were here in the flesh, maybe I would understand you more, and I could understand your, your attitude when you said certain words more, and so on. You know, sometimes we crave for Him to be here in the flesh, but He is here in the flesh, through you, inside you. It says, because we have become one with him, verse 19. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. So Romans 12.1, it's a picture of self getting on the altar. And something died there on the altar. But then on the third day, as he resurrected Jesus out of the grave, he resurrected you as well, and then you became a living, a living flesh. Come on, just like in the beginning, the, the, in the Hebrew, it's a, and when he says he made Adam, he made him a living being. He breathed his life into him again, and the Holy Spirit is that breath of God that you die, you lay down your life, you, you lay it down on the altar, but then you get up from that altar just as Jesus did, and it's finished, sin is finished, the price is paid, but now there's a life to live to represent him. It says in verse 20, for God bought you with a high price so you can if you feel like it if it's convenient if it'll fit in your schedule 
if your electronics don't get in the way, and if your soccer doesn't get in the way, and if your hobbies don't get in the way, you can honor, you know, occasionally, eventually, as long as it's before the end of your life with your body. But it's a complete and total sacrificed life before him that he's looking for. I could go on and on. Galatians 2.20 says, come on, you know this verse. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self, everybody say my old self, has been crucified with Christ. See, this is the word. I'm not making this up. This is not just something I sat down and thought of, and this is some new teaching. And you need to, if you are stuck in, in, in old, in some sort of false old, uh, fake, demonically inspired Christianity. It's time to believe his word. You may be listening on the podcast. Believe the word of God and not the preacher who steered you some way with some clever teaching and, and that you could just come and, and, and just say yes to Jesus. So you just do your own thing. Don't worry about it. He loves you. His grace is on you. And you just, you know, as long as you check in before eternity, we're all good. But the word says, come on, not my opinion. The word says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I live in this earthly body. So it's a picture of a person who is still on the earth. There's still a human body, but it's not you anymore because I'm trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is the picture of Jesus. He did it. He paid the price. You can't earn it, and yet he requires everything of you. You can't do it. You can't become, but you must abandon. You have to just give it all. And in fact, if you think you've given it all, my challenge for you this day, as we're approaching the end of 2019, not that the years really matter, every day, every second is, is just gone. A second ago, it was gone. But make this moment to ask the Lord, what have I not put on the altar? How have I not gotten on that altar and sacrificed fully yet? Because I don't want to waste another minute. I want to live for you. I want to live as if I believe your word and as if I believe that your word says that you want to live in me and live through me. And it's clear, Lord, when I look at this, this, and that area, I am not on the altar the way that you asked me. And that's not acceptable to you. And it's not pleasing to you. And it's not about salvation. But Lord, why would I want to hurt you? Why would I want to do anything that doesn't please you? Why would I want to bring anything that's not acceptable? Why would I want to say, well, thank you for your grace. That's good enough. And, and thank you, Lord, that you love me. But I'm just not quite making the mark. No, Lord, I want to give it all. I, I don't even know how. I can't even do it in myself. So, Lord, I'm just going to humble myself because your word says if we humble ourselves, Lord, we can't fail. We just humble ourselves. You lift us up. So we just come before you. Lord, we just give it all. I don't even know what you want from me yet. I don't even know, Lord, what I haven't given yet. So you search my heart like David prayed. Come on, before, the, before even Christ gave us this promise and search my heart, you find what you don't want, and I'm giving it to you. And so, Lord, 
come into my life. Let's just make it a prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Just like we prayed the moment we're at that altar. Come on, church. Let's just pray this prayer. Jesus, come into my life again. I want to be a living sacrifice. I don't want to be a one-time sacrifice. But I thank you, Jesus, that just as you are alive, I want to live on this earth for you and not for myself and not to please myself and not to feel good, to be happy, but to please you and to be acceptable to you. And we thank you, Lord, that in that place there is a joy that's so much greater than human happiness that even if our physical body is suffering, there's a joy that'll come bubbling up out of us that just praises you and loves you and can't wait to be with you for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.